1: Bota, bota. (laughs) So if I'm feeling a little too relaxed this evening, just. uh, I thought we might start with a short uh, sitting meditation. I'll guide it a little bit for those of you who may not be familiar with the practice. Um, Sit for just 10 or 15 minutes. So if you just sit comfortably, uh, but not too, too comfortably. You know, it's best if your feet are flat on the floor and um, sitting somewhat upright. And often in this tradition we sit with our eyes closed, but it's also possible to sit with the eyes slightly open. So, whichever you prefer. Begin by simply settling into the awareness of the body, the body sitting. Just sit and know you're sitting. It can be that simple. And as you sit and know you're sitting, you might become aware of some background, ambient, noise or sound. Simply be aware of that in the background. You'll be aware of my voice. Settle into the awareness of the body, the body sitting, the body posture, the awareness there is a body. As you know, the body's sitting, feeling it. You might become aware of your body breathing. Quite a natural process. There's no need to narrowly focus on the breath. I'd rather feel the body breathing within the framework of the whole body sitting. No need to force the breath or breathe in any certain way. You simply know you're sitting. And you feel the natural rhythm of the body breathing. breathes in, know you're breathing in. As the body breathes out, know you're breathing out. It's that simple. As you sit and know you're sitting, you'll be aware of different sounds. The background ambient sounds, the sound of my voice, other sounds in the room. You'll be aware of the body breathing. Simply staying relaxed and alert at the same time. When the mind is attentive, you may notice different thoughts or images pass through the mind. See if you can notice the thought or image when it arises. You might even make a small acknowledgement, thinking or seeing silently in mind. If the mind gets carried away in a train of thought, a train of association, as soon as you become aware, simply come back to the body sitting. Sit and know you're sitting. Feeling the body, feeling the breath. Let the mind and body be relaxed, and also alert. Aware of the body sitting, aware of sound, aware of the body breathing, and aware or mindful of different thoughts or images as they appear and disappear in the mind. Well, you just attended a 10-day meditation course. (laughs) It's basically that simple. It's just practicing that. Uh, and Of course, as we do, it begins to deepen into different levels of understanding. So this evening, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, compassion and equanimity in challenging times, um, it seems these times are rather challenging <clears throat> on many levels. You know, the, just what's happening in the various political realms, in you know the tremendous upheaval in the Middle East and the refugee crisis, and. So many different kinds of suffering in the world. Well, the question really is how can we hold this? You know, there's so much, and especially given the uh, immediacy and the intensity of the media these days. You know, I'm sure you feel, as I often do, uh, that it's easy to just get overloaded with all the information, and it's. <laughs> doesn't stop um, so is there some balanced way to both be open to it to feel responsive to it and not to get overwhelmed by it all you know what to withdraw from it and that seems to me the challenge of basically what our meditation practice is about but but it's really about applied meditation in the world. You know, How are we using our hearts and minds in the face of all of these challenges? So it seems to me that there are two really key elements in learning how to be with all of this in a skillful way, in a wholesome way. And it has to do... <coughs> with the balance of equanimity and compassion. Now we may hear more in our lives, we may hear more about compassion. You know, and a lot of people (coughs) are engaged in very compassionate response to situations and doing a lot of great work. We probably hear less about the importance of equanimity that's just as a word and as a value, that seems to uh, just have a somewhat lesser uh, presence in our consciousness. And yet understanding equanimity I think is the key to be able to respond compassionately in all kinds of situations without going to overwhelm without being overcome by it all. So what is equanimity? This is going to be a very brief, uh, just a few comments on it. But in the way that we use the term, one might think of equanimity as that mind space uh, of impartiality. You know, where the mind is just open to see things as clearly as we can in their totality. The good, the bad, the difficult, the challenging, the easeful. So in that way, it could be likened to space. You know, space holds everything and space doesn't discriminate between this and that. It's just the space that contains everything. So equanimity has that quality in the mind. It has that quality of spaciousness that is non-reactive. It doesn't doesn't jump to conclusions or jump to conditioned reactivity in ourselves. It's that space and it's really an easefulness of mind that's open, spacious, sees, as best as possible, the totality of what's going on. Now, this does not imply non-discernment. So it's not kind of a vague, settling back, deluded, oh, everything's okay. That's not equanimity. That's just fog. Equanimity is very alive, it's bright, it's clear, it's balanced, it's open, and it can discern what's what because it's seeing everything. It's not one-sided, it's not coming from a partial point of view. So in that respect, equanimity is the absolute uh, necessary groundwork For wisdom, foundation for wisdom. So, as we're facing or as we're confronting difficult situations, whether personally, in our own lives, in our relationships, in our work, in the world, politically, socially, you know, when we're confronting difficult situations, really the question. The key question that we need to ask is, what is the most effective means for addressing this situation, for addressing this problem? Because we could be moved by compassion to do something. But if we're not clear about what needs to be done or what can be done or what we're able to do, then very likely we can just go in and muddle things even more. So it's equanimity which gives us that first stable platform within ourselves in which we can see, we can assess, we can discern. Okay, there's this situation that needs addressing. Maybe it's some injustice or inequality or political mess, whatever it may be. We're seeing it, we're seeing the totality of it, and we ask the question, well, what's the most effective way of responding? Do you see the importance of this before before jumping in? So one question is, and I'll talk just a, a little bit more about equanimity. One question is, how do we find this space, because I think most of us who are so, who have been somewhat introspective in our lives are not unaware of how quickly reactive our hearts and minds can be you know we see something or we hear something on the news or you know some political situation of which we now have many south of the border you know, and it's so easy to just jump right into a reactive judgment. You know, I hate this, you know, or whatever, whatever it might be. So the question is, are there some tools, even, even little tools, remembrances, little reflections, that can just help bring us back from that quick reactivity, to a place of greater equanimity. Okay, this is what's happening. Can I see it, can I take it in, can I understand it in its fullness? So there are just two two little uh, tricks of the trade uh, that I found helpful in even remembering what equanimity is about. So as I say, in the moment, it's very easy to just get caught up in our initial Reactions. One thing that's very important to remember in general in life, you know, as we navigate all the many ups and downs, and twists and turns, and challenges and difficulties of our lives, we need to remember that. vast majority of what happens in our lives is completely outside of our control. We would like to think that we are the center of the universe and that what we want and what we desire and what we'd like should be how things are, because it's obvious that they would be the right things to do. But as you've probably noticed, the world is not quite organized that way. We actually are not at the center of the universe. We are simply a part of this great, mysterious whole. And things happen on every plane, every level, and in every circumstance through a vast multitude of conditions. You know, in Buddhist terminology, it's always talked about causes and conditions give rise to things happening. Just a a very simple example. Yesterday, in flying up to Montreal, get to the airport, plane delayed an hour. Oh, an hour's not too bad. An hour goes by, oh, delayed another hour. And meanwhile, the, the flight afterwards was canceled. So that, the, it was, the weather was quite bad in Boston yesterday. Another hour goes, or oh, delayed further. And there were people making connecting flights to Europe and out to Calgary and you know, going all over the place. And it was just very interesting to watch the different reactions. You know, this was a very impersonal situation no one had any control of it you know it was the weather and they said there was one runway under construction and it was just causes and conditions and it was very interesting to see the difference between getting stressed about it and having at least some measure of equanimity okay this is happening it's outside of my control there's nothing i can do about it just Okay, sit back, relax, breathe. Huge difference. And this is, this is about a very small thing. So just imagine being able to apply that same principle in much more challenging situations. To remember, to realize, you know, whatever our feelings may be about it, very often, it is outside of our control to do anything about it. We don't have the capacity to do something about it. And so that just helps us understand the bigger picture, to relax. But right here is a key point in understanding equanimity, and it's what leads into compassion. Very often, people will make the assumption, or will somehow make the inner move from the understanding, yes, the world is not ordered the way I would like it to be. A lot of things are happening that I don't like, often for good reasons. I don't have control over what's happening. So right here is the key point, because very often people will move from that understanding to indifference. Oh, I can't do anything about it. And so we kind of retreat into just, well, a kind of indifference about what's going on in the world. And they confuse indifference with equanimity. So it's extremely important to see that these are two very different things. In Buddhist terminology, indifference is called the near enemy of equanimity because it looks like equanimity superficially, but it is actually a completely different state. Indifference is withdrawn, you know, we're pulling back. Equanimity is like space, equanimity is holding everything with discernment. So be, be watchful of that. You know, developing the equanimity is essential. And we have to realize a lot of things are outside of our control. And yet we don't need to fall back into indifference. So just another uh, element which I find extremely extremely interesting, and I, I use this a lot in my life, um, in terms of strengthening equanimity, and that's when I found myself caught up in some drama or other, some reactivity or other, you know, it could be personal, it could be organizational, it could be societal, global, you know, on whatever level. One of the things I really love to do—I love to read history—and I just find it very interesting to look back historically. And one of the examples I give, some years ago, it was, I don't know, maybe five years ago now, I read this amazing book about Genghis Khan. You know, I think 13th century or something like that. He ruled most of Asia. And into Europe. I mean he was he was probably the most powerful person on Earth at that time. You know, and controlled the lives of millions and millions of people and cities were destroyed and a huge force on the planet. So I'd like to ask you a very pointed question now. How many of you have thought about Genghis Khan today? probably not not too many of you. (laughs) Because in the long sway of history, even given the immense influence and power, and some of it was for good, and a lot of it was for destruction, but huge, huge influence. But in the long course of history, it was there and powerful and impactful and a lot of... Suffering involved, and now we hardly even think about them. And then you might even think of geological time. You know, when we expand our view of time, of history, whether it's individual history of countries, of civilizations, of the Earth itself, of species arising and passing, you know, we get a really big picture. Really big. Four and a half billion years, the sun's going to explode. You know, goodbye Earth. I don't know. I just find that it's, it enlarges everything. And it doesn't mean going to indifference. And I'm going to explain a little bit about how we don't go to indifference. But it provides a frame, provides a very big frame for holding it all with balance. with connectedness, and, and with a greater ease, where we don't get so tight or contracted or stressed in the face of these very real challenges. So the avenue for not getting caught in indifference, not falling into indifference, is compassion. And what does compassion mean? Compassion is that feeling that is aware of the suffering that's going on and wants to do something about it. It's that feeling that wants to alleviate the suffering. So equanimity actually opens us to the full range of what's there And we let it in, we see it, but from a place of balance, not from a place of our own contracted reactivity. And then what we can notice is that out of that equanimity, the heart, the mind begins increasingly to respond quite spontaneously with compassion to the suffering that we see you know, that we're involved with. Compassion actually comes when we're willing to come close to suffering. You know, if, if, and our tendency is not to. So, I think it's important not to assume that the totality of our conditioning is compassion. There may be a lot there, But there's a lot in our conditioning which pulls away from pain. And we can see it in our own bodies and see it very clearly in meditation practice. When you're sitting, just out of interest, how many of you have done, involved in meditation of some kind? So many, almost most of you. So you'll know this very well. How often when you're sitting, and you feel some strong pain in the back, or the knee, or the shoulders, how often is your first response, oh, good, this is a chance for me to be with pain. <laughs> it's probably not the first reaction. Right? Maybe we'll get there. But the first react, the first conditioned reaction to pain, ah, I don't like this. We have aversion to it. It's a pulling away from it. Well, we can extrapolate that to all the suffering in the world, you know, in which we hear so much. Often there is an immediate compassionate response, but sometimes it can just be too much, you know, and we can feel, you know, we can feel the aversion not wanting to come close, needing to, in a way, protect ourselves a little bit. So it's, it's really helpful just to become aware of all this. This is without judgment, and without self-judgment about it. We're just really watching the conditioning of our hearts, of our minds, in the face of suffering, knowing that compassion arises from a willingness, and this is a practiced willingness, to come close to suffering. Just as with the pain in meditation, We may have an initial reaction, but then we remind ourselves okay, it's okay. Let me just feel it. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to feel unpleasant. And so we can feel the heart, the mind soften, settle into it, feel it. We can do the same thing with the suffering we come face to face with in the world. Even if at first we feel a little distant. we can remind us of, no, let me, let me open to this. Let me feel it. It's OK that I feel this suffering. What happens from that is a very powerful inner, you could say, transformation or development. And that is, the more willing we are through practice, you know, this does not happen just in a moment. We need to undertake it as a practice. But the more willing we are to open to the suffering that's there, what happens is there's a tremendous development of empathy. You know, because We actually begin to feel the suffering of another because we were willing to come close to it. Right? if we're at a distance, or just know it intellectually, it often doesn't drop into the heart, right? And so we may know that the suffering's there, but we don't necessarily have that empathetic feeling for what that person or people or group are actually going through. So it's really, a, it's a very beautiful process. Equanimity and just developing it to some extent gives us the balance. It creates the spaciousness in our minds, in our hearts, to see the totality of what's there, the ability then to begin practice coming closer to the difficult, you know, to the sometimes it's really painful, you know, what's going on in the world. And sometimes in ourselves, or with people you know, really close to us. The equanimity gives us the strength to actually be able to come close, to open to it, to see, yes, this is what's here, the coming close to the suffering, in a very beautifully transforming way opens the heart empathetically you know to what the other person or the group of people or ourselves what we're going through and then out of that empathy the key question of compassionate action arises and i think this is where compassion and equi- equanimity just come together so beautifully, because really the question that crystallizes compassionate response—it's is, is, um, a phrase that came from a book title uh, written years ago by Ramdas and Paul Gorman. It was a book on compassion, and the title of the book, which I love was how can I help? How can I help? And I find that is just, it just captures everything I've been talking about. It's like the equanimity of discernment. It's realizing that there are many situations where we may not be able to do anything. The equanimity allows us to come close to the suffering that's really in our lives. We feel more empathy. And then we ask that question well, how can I help? Is there something I can do? And if we hold that question and are really motivated by compassion, by wanting to alleviate the suffering, kind of Many unexplored possibilities begin to open themselves. You know, things we may not have thought of, or ways we might be able to help. Just holding the question. Uh, are you familiar with the term koan in Japanese uh, Buddhism? It's like a, it's a little phrase, or a, say, a problem, or a, that's just held in the heart, and you you hold it and you hold it, and it doesn't seem to have a very specific rational answer, but it contains within it the seed of really, really great wisdom. So how can I help? It's almost like a compassionate koan. This is what we can bring to the world, just holding that and then seeing. Because opportunities present themselves all the time in big ways, in little ways. How can I help? And I've just found this whole practice to be uh, tremendously uh, enlivening. Just as equanimity can go to indifference, the key point with compassion, and this is something that needs our attention because it's very easy for compassion to slip into its near enemy, where we think it's compassion, but it's really not. And that's first when it goes kind of to sorrow. You know, in the face of seeing so much suffering in the world, it's very easy to sometimes just be overwhelmed by the sorrow of it all. Especially given the immediacy, you know, of the media and the pictures, and uh, so sometimes it's heartbreaking what what we're seeing and becoming aware of. And it's very easy to go into sorrow. Sorrow is not compassion. And this is what I'm about to say is really a subtlety of discernment, and you would need to really investigate this. Carefully for yourself. Test it for yourself. Don't don't necessarily just believe it. Uh, but I found it very interesting that in this quality of you can almost call it sorrow overwhelm. That in that there is a there is a thread or an element of aversion to the suffering. We don't like the suffering so much. There's so much aversion to it and to feeling it that we just go into overwhelm. That's a very different feeling than the feeling that arises in our heart when we hold the question in the face of suffering, how can I help? Can you feel the difference just now? And if if the how can I help? is what's there, That's upli- even in the face of suffering, that's uplifting, because we're engaged, and we're engaged in a positive and discerning way. Being overwhelmed or going to aversion just leads to despair, and it doesn't help us, and it doesn't help anybody else. So I think this is basically, train work I wanted to present this evening. Uh, and I hope you got some, some idea of both the importance of equanimity and compassion. How the one is the support for the other, the dangers in each, that equanimity doesn't go to indifference, that compassion doesn't go to sorrow. And that we use both of those qualities to really help us engage in our own lives and in the world in a really meaningful way, in a way that can be of service to the world. I thought for the rest of the evening, and this was really uh, my intention, was just to open open it for discussion or comment. the theme of how to live in these challenging times seems very relevant you know for all of us.: So actually, that might be a nice moment to stop. Why, why don't we just sit, sit for an hour and a half? And <laughs> just just a couple of minutes. beings everywhere have hearts at peace thank you